I think what I'd like to do is start with a few minutes of meditation and just settle in. And today I'm planning to talk about the hindrance of sensual desire. And of course it's one of the five hindrances and actually probably the most difficult of them to work with. And I'll talk about why that is and, and the ways in which we sometimes overdo it <laughs> in terms of thinking we have to be extremely austere. And, and we'll talk about balance. And so right now, what we want to do is really settle the body so that it feels comfortable. Because being comfortable and happy is really essential for going into deep meditation or it's also true, of course, that we can go into deep meditation at times when we're not comfortable and probably not happy, but it's very helpful in general to settle the mind and to be able to really let go. And what are we letting go of? When we start meditating, we want to set aside the hindrances and establish mindfulness. And when the hindrances are quieted or stilled or we're free from them, even if it's temporarily, then there's an opportunity for the factors of enlightenment to grow, to develop. Today, I want to put some attention on sensual desire, the first hindrance usually in the list, as the list is given in the normal fashion. And it really includes everything that comes in through the five senses and whatever we might want from that. So when we begin our meditation, first we can take some time to really let everything settle down. I find it helpful to take a few deep breaths. And then we can notice what's going on in the mind. And as we start, it may be some busyness or agitation or 
some other residue from whatever we were doing before. We might have feelings in the body that still might be preoccupying us. Then we can give our whole system some time to settle down. Now, depending on our practice and also depending on whatever is happening in our life, we might be able to just go right into watching the breath and establishing mindfulness and turning our attention to the feeling of the breath in the body and maybe already some pleasant feeling from just being aware and present. And if we've really practiced again and again and again and again, uh, being present with our breathing, then there might be pleasant spiritual feeling already arising. But a lot of times that's not the situation we're in. that in the beginning there might be one or one of the hindrances really um, making itself present, if you will, showing up. And of course that could be wanting something, some sensual stimulation or being caught up in some sensual stimulation. Or it could be aversion or ill will, dullness or drowsiness, restlessness or regret or a wavering um, of doubt. And the Buddha encourages us to just face whatever it is. We know if the mind is affected by sensual desire or it is not. And the same with the other hindrances. Just to be really present with the situation as it is in the mind. So 
So how can we tell if what we're dealing with is sensual desire? That's the wanting, wanting something different, even wanting more stillness. And yet that desire can be helpful in the right amount. If we're clinging to anything too strongly, it's going to be a hindrance, a problem to our settling down and really becoming still. So we just notice in the beginning, what is the state of the mind? And once we see what the state of the mind is, then depending on the situation, we can address it. We can address it with wisdom. Kind of seeing where we might have some attachment or recognizing that what we're experiencing is natural, normal. We see that it's unhelpful or unnecessary. We see some of the, the downside of it. This is a kind of a contemplation using wisdom. And sometimes that's enough for the hindrance to subside. But another approach that I find very useful is to really bring some loving kindness and compassion to the situation, recognizing how natural it is that we might want something or want to get rid of something. And the, the feeling that can arise when we and turn our attention to kindness and compassion might be enough to really help the hindrance dissolve.
And we, we notice that the hindrances have been calmed or dissolved. Then we can really put all of our attention on our meditation object and allow the mind to let go into the stillness. But if the, there's a hindrance still there, then we can also, I find, use the breath, paying attention to breathing, especially with some added attention on the ex, ex, exhalation and letting go. Inviting the pleasant feeling and putting our attention on pleasant feeling. PT and Sukha. And this sometimes causes hindrances to fall away quite naturally.
Well, <clears throat> I'll come back. Our uh, internet went down as we were meditating. So now we're going to be um, on the slower connection. So let me know if you have any trouble hearing. This will be one of the advantages of being in town <laughs> for programs. So in thinking about the hindrance of sensual desire, I've been reflecting on, you know, what is it that really is happening for us? in our life with regards to sensuality. And of course, um, it's through our five senses that we know anything about the world. It's what we see, hear, taste, touch, smell. And in meditation, the way we can go into deep stillness is by letting go of all that. And that's really hard to do sometimes. I mean, that is not what we're used to. So finding ways to, as you well know, increase the spiritual pleasure so that we're not um, looking for comfort and happiness from sensual pleasure in meditation is you know really what we're what we're doing when we when we sit down to meditate and i find that of course i'm sure you do too that what we're doing in everyday life when we're not meditating has a huge impact on what's happening when we meditate and i think because many of you um you know, are listening to the Dhamma or reading the suttas and studying Dhamma and, and taking in a lot of messages around um, the dangers of sensual pleasures, probably. I'm not actually going to go into that much this morning. Instead, I want to talk more about how we find a balance because Buddhism is kind of interesting it doesn't the buddha didn't um say that there was anything particularly wrong with enjoying um our experience in life it's not kind of a puritanical you know how how it's so terrible certainly it's important to keep the five precepts and that's a basic uh, supportive container to not let our um, indulgence in sensual pleasure get um, out of line, you might say, or go down a path of it being having negative results. But that there's nothing wrong with having pleasant experiences. And I hope that I hope we can find the right way of describing this because we can get confused easily about, you know, whether or not it's 
it's all right to enjoy ourselves in life. And there's, so there's nothing um, in the, the Buddha talked about, for example, um, someone who, if we earn money in a, in a good way, that, that it's uh, good to enjoy, uh, make ourselves happy and make others happy with that, with that abundance. So it's, it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. So then what is this all about renunciation and letting go? It's around the, of course, the attachment, the clinging, the, the feeling that we have to have it where it starts to be an addiction. And there's a, there's a way of looking at sensual desire or sensual pleasure kind of in three levels. You know, that first one is, you know, using sensual pleasure as a way to be content, to be happy, not letting it go out of bounds, not breaking precepts, um, recognizing when it's too much and holding back from that and feeling the freedom of that um, not being dependent upon something coming our way that we um, you know, knowing we can do without it, knowing that uh, if we if we overindulge, it doesn't lead to more happiness. It leads to suffering. <clears throat> and feeling, you know, dukkha is really the key. We can see, okay, um, I'm expecting more satisfaction out of this than it really provides. It's time to step back. The second kind of layer of the challenge with sensual pleasures is around meditation. Like I said, this is where we want to really let go of our, of our desires to see, hear, taste, touch, smell. We close off the five senses in meditation, and we just watch the mind. The Buddha gave an example, a simile of, you know, like an anthill with six entrances and you close off five and you just watch that one. You see the, um, you know, whatever comes and goes there. And of course that brings a tremendous amount of peace. And the happiness that comes is the happiness of the spiritual experience. And we want to more and more rely on that and make use of that. And then the third kind of interesting um, aspect of sensual, sensual pleasure and sensual desire is that that's that's what drives us to rebirth. So we want to experience things. We want to, um, to do things. We want something going on. And the Buddha encouraged us to continually turn towards, guide ourselves in the direction of peace, 
and serenity instead. So we can, we can uh, have this understanding on an intellectual level that we want to put more of our energy and effort into the things that bring about spiritual joy, like generosity, kindness, keeping precepts, um, letting go of what we don't need, paying attention to what, are, what we consume. And we can see examples in our own life and in the people around us that inspire us, you know, thinking about what our values really are. I have a friend who, this was some time ago, actually, she was traveling with some friends and they were in a shop that was, you know, pretty expensive at that time. She, there was a dress for $200 and her friend was like, buy it. You deserve it. You know, you should indulge in it. And her thought at that time was, I don't want to spend $200 on a dress. I'd rather, you know, um, provide food for someone who needs it. And this was just a representation for her of where she wanted to put her effort, her energy, the fruits of, of her hard work. And it doesn't even mean there's anything wrong with buying the $200 dress. It's more about really looking at what our experience is. How do we feel? How does it affect others? You know, what is the impact of my actions? And how does that feel as we, as we make choices that are supportive of our own well-being physically and mentally, and also supportive of the well-being of those around us, we feel better and better in our, in our whole life. And like I've been saying, the real challenge is keeping it in balance, that, that we don't feel guilty about watching a movie or having a nice meal or whatever it is. It's like, but understanding, you know, how, how does this experience support me in being happy, content, um, peaceful? Because this, this feeling of I'm not doing enough or I can't, I can't, I don't deserve. And maybe this is where my, my friend's friend was coming from, you know, don't cut yourself off from things that help you um, let go of negative mental states. So it's, it's, it's a challenge. One of the best ways to let go is, to, is through renunciation. We have to look at well, what is really it's serving. And so we try things and we observe how it affects us. The same with you know, media or right now, like using um, the internet, being online. You know, looking at how it affects us, 
if we're checking the weather six times a day, you know, like, well, is that really, is that really what I want to do? Is that really useful, necessary? Can I set the phone aside for a few hours? How does it feel? Am I starting to get attached to this thing? <laughs> you know, these are every, every aspect of our life we can kindly, um, generously investigate, not with the punitive idea, but with a real interest in supporting our mind towards more stillness, peace, confidence, relief. And then when we sit down in meditation, it's easier for that to be the experience. It's easier to let go. I'm curious about your experiences with this and where the sticking points might be. You know, there are, there are, we all have specific areas where um, we find challenges and we can all learn from the examples we see around us, both how we want to do things and how we don't want to do things. And also to remember that things are constantly changing as we age, as our life situation changes. I remember once when I was going through a big life change, when I was talking with Ajahn Pasano, I was experiencing a lot of strong feeling and I said to him, you know, sometimes I feel like I just need to watch an innocent, mindless movie. And he said, yeah, do it. <laughs> but know that that's what you're doing and why you're doing it. You're giving your mind a break. You're distracting yourself for a little while, and then you're going to come back to working with whatever's there. And so this is, this is something. You know, it's like always like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it just the program I was trained on? Um, maybe from this lifetime and maybe from many lifetimes? Or am I or am I really seeing how this is supportive or not? I think that's the key. Carrie. Uh, yeah, hi for thank you for that. Um, I'm I'm thinking of two things. One is I, I often fold in the fourth requisite of medicine when I'm thinking about um, how I need to take care of myself. That may be watching a mindless movie or doing something like that. And I just think about well, you know, the Buddha really wanted us to know how to give the right medicine at the right moment. Um, so I'm curious about your thoughts of me thinking about it as medicine. Um, and the other thing, when you were talking, you know, I kind of summarize the precepts in do no harm, but is it okay to also just do no good? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Thank you. Interesting. Well, first of all, I really, <clears throat> excuse me, I really like the model of using everything around us as medicine. And this is, you know, what we do at the monastery. We keep um, eight precepts, of course, and for bhikkhunis, 311 rules. But, you know, the, the idea of what do you eat later in the day if the body needs something. And <clears throat> if you really think of it as medicine, then you're, you're, you're being kind and supportive to the body and the mind. And you know when it's enough. You use the right amount because even the best medicine needs to be in the right dosage. And you're able to adjust the dosage based on how it feels, what the results are. So I think that's really good. I personally um, prefer the precepts as they're written to abstain from killing, stealing, lying, committing adultery, and consuming drugs and alcohol that alter the mind, um, destroy your mindfulness, basically. Instead of not doing harm or being harmless, because they're so clear in their original form, the Buddha was extremely precise and clear. And I think we really, if we follow his example in that, we gain a lot of confidence. Because at the end of the day, you know whether or not you've intentionally killed anything. I mean, it does have to be intentional. It's not the, you know, accidental or una being unaware of it. If you intentionally kill, there's a, a certain feeling and energy behind that that, that puts a stain on the mind and, of course, brings suffering to another living being. And the same with the rest of the precepts. You know whether you've, you've done those things or not. And that's incredibly helpful. But if we cast it in the positive, you know, like being harmless, there's no way you can know for sure if you're harmless enough. It just doesn't have the same clarity. And it doesn't mean that we have to be negative. You know, clarity is extremely important. This is the wisdom faculty. And to really um, bring, you know, to... For, for moral virtue, for sila, really what it is is kindness. That's where the positive comes in. You think about taking kindness to the max, then you're going to keep those precepts. And the wisdom has to be there too. So that's what I would say. And then in terms of do no good, I think what you're probably getting at is this kind of pressure we might put on ourselves to, you know, like um, do more than we really have the inner resources to do, to feel like we have to be constantly um, giving and not really resourcing ourselves enough, that kind of thing. So it's more mental. We want to be able to do good. 
out of the fullness of our heart, the real wish to help. And sometimes we're in a situation where the demands are so high on our caregiving or the demands are so high on our um, giving attention to others that what we really need there is balance and finding a way to be as kind to ourselves as we are to others, as generous to ourselves as we are to others. How does that sound, Gary? Sounds good, thank you. Welcome. Cynthia? I think Karen had her hand up first, so I'd be happy to defer to her. Okay, they might be getting bounced around. Go ahead, Karen. Thanks, that was very polite. <laughs> I had a question about the uh, eight precepts. Uh, I'm doing a thing with Birkin Monastery where I have to, one day a week, do the eight precepts. And the one that I find most challenging mm -hmm. is the dropping of the entertainments. And, uh, you know, yeah, but... What I find is my mind, um, you know, very creative minds we have. So I won't watch TV, but I'm going to fill up my time with busyness, right? Like, I'm wondering if you have mm -hmm. any advice for a lay person practicing this, because like in my mind, I have certain set things as the entertainment, no TV, no reading books other than Dharma books, I only listen to Dharma talks. But there's this, mm -hmm. I can see this excuses my mind well you know you could clean out the, the closet you could do this you could do that that's not entertainment so I've noticed this going on so I was wondering you know because mm -hmm. you practice the, these daily how you deal with that kind of mm -hmm. like you know restlessness this kind of like excuses the mind is always making I'm oh I'm keeping the eight precepts I'm not doing entertainment but I, I feel like it's cheating <laughs> so if you can okay. comment on that I appreciate it so the yeah, yeah. The entertainment um, is about trying to distract ourselves from what we really feel. We want to we want to be able to turn towards the feeling of restlessness, turn towards the feeling of whatever is there. But that doesn't mean we don't work. You can work and also be very attentive to what you're experiencing. And this would be, you know, very much encouraged by Ajahn Ganha. He really thinks we all should work and practice as we work and do our work as an act of generosity to everyone. So it's really about being able to be with what you feel and be with what you're experiencing. And it is good to, you know, because they're, you know, entertainment, is for the purpose of kind of losing yourself in a story or losing yourself in an activity. And we don't want to do that. We want to do an activity we can be present with. So cleaning the closet might be just fine. Um, it's really what you're doing with your mind that you want to watch. And, you know, observing monasteries where a lot of young men 
are living um, together in the forest, they need work. It's great for them to go out and, you know, haul brush and, you know, dig. Well, the bhikkhus can't dig, but doing things that are active and physical, go for a walk. Um, you know, we do need to give the body that that activity, but then being present and aware. And what am I seeing? What am I feeling? What am I hearing? Thanks. That's very helpful. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, Cynthia. Okay, so um, so this has been uh, a a huge topic in my practice ever you know since I started practicing um, because I for decades uh, struggled with a serious eating disorder, which is. As I'm thinking about it now, it's sort of about a big part of it feels like it is about sensual pleasure, um, like going for foods that I like to eat. Um, but part of it really is about that distraction part also. And and there has been. So I guess I, I have some comments and also a couple of questions there. There has been a lot of healing and some and some of my questions you've answered already about like the, the business of um, of um, the invitation to just notice, notice what's happening, notice how it impacts you, notice how it impacts the mind. Um, but where I still sometimes get caught up is you know, there still is, there still is some conditioning in the mind of being sort of obsessed with food and wanting certain things and enjoying certain things. And it's gotten way, way better than it was at the beginning. But um, there's a part of it also that, and this kind of gets into the balance thing that I struggle with where part of the history is that if I try to, like, like sometimes I, it still bothers me that I really think I have to have certain things or I really want certain things. But part of the history is that if I try to restrict myself too much, it's a trigger. It, it can be a trigger for yeah. the compulsion. And, mm -hmm. and that also comes up like at times when I've been on retreat and tried to do the eight precepts like I'm at lunch and I know I'm not going to get any supper and I just you know lose it at the lunch you know I just like there's that uh I don't know that conditioning that that um goes from one extreme to the other um so I'm just wondering if you have anything any comments on on all of that you know how to how to find that balance and and have the compassion of knowing you know this is some really strong conditioning and i have to be careful and kind to myself around it yeah yeah having having got been going through this for years i think you probably know the territory pretty well yourself and it is true that balance is something that isn't steady. 
you know, think about riding a bike, you're kind of like a little this way, a little that way, you know, it's, it's never quite steady. It's not going to be perfect. So you try things and you see how it goes. And when you, when you really want something, like you said, you don't want to push the mind too far, but you can push it a little bit and see how it goes. When you were talking, I was thinking about this practice that I know Aya Chitananda and Aya Chanda, I think you did this, right? Where you picked food for, who told us about picking food for each other? Yeah, so it's like you you trade bowls and the other person chooses your meal for you and then you eat it. Um, you know, that might be too much for the mind. I don't know. But, you know, it's like thinking about how can I help my mind let go of this attachment? You know, the attachments there. And the more mindfulness you employ, the further, the more distance and there is between where you're standing and the behavior and that is also where the kindness and compassion come in and you're able to watch what's happening and so it's true you don't want to push it too far but you want to nudge it along to where it doesn't matter there's nutrition in this it's okay and then there's the other side which is if the food isn't attractive enough to us we won't eat it we won't eat enough we may not even digest it properly so it's it's a really paying attention to all those pieces and you know being kind enough and firm enough and moving in the right direction i think that's the key yeah that that's interesting that you mentioned that practice that Aya uh, Chittananda was doing because I've I found myself doing something like that recently where like I'm planning a certain thing for lunch and it's like leftovers from yesterday and it's like I take it on it's like oh this is boring out of it but then I think about well maybe I can just pretend I'm on alms round and this is what's offered and it's nutritious and it's okay you know so yeah yeah I also this has nothing to do with yeah. the time, and then I just, oh sorry go ahead I was going to say, and then how does it feel after eating the alms food? Um, yeah, it's like, it was fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to also say. See, I, this, this is very important. Yeah. I just wanted to say. Sorry, the delay is very annoying. I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I really appreciate the, the little check-ins in the morning. I mean, it's just so lovely to connect with people a little bit, you know, especially when we're not in the same room. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I just wanted to say that that reflection afterwards is really important. So you, you, you do this, like, you know, push yourself a little bit down the renunciation track, and then you look at what the results are. You, you, you know, do something that you feel is going to be supportive to your body and mind and then reflect on it. Is that really, has that really been helpful? How can I bring more, more kindness, more compassion, more positive direction to this situation? And the Buddha was 
in, in many, many places in the suttas really encourages this reflect on what you experienced, see that you, you did it. And if it was good, be happy about it. Not just right away. Okay. Now I got to do something more, but take that time to congratulate yourself. Okay. That worked well. Let's take that into account and keep going. Paula and Phil. Yeah, it's Paula. Um, first, I wanted to recount for everyone a great story of my experience when I was at KBV and there was coffee and Ayachitananda had chosen it. It was, it was flavored coffee and um, I don't like flavored coffee. I, I, so in the first chance I had going to the store, I went and got some other coffee. And Ayachitananda's response to me was, well, yeah, it was at Costco and it was um, a good brand because, you know, it was like, uh, I forgot what you say, uh, uh, friendly, eco-friendly or what's the word for it where you, fair trade, fair trade. And so I thought, why not? And she was drinking it and it really didn't matter that it was flavored or not. And I was just like, oh, my holy substance ruined by flavor. <laughs> and um <laughs> I keep thinking back to that. Um, and what a great teaching example Ayachitananda was to me. And I can just see her eating someone else's chosen foods in the, you know, in the line. Um, so um, it's like, you know, I wasn't ready to take the step at that time, but um, it has an effect. And I, I kind of see what you're saying about that. So that was just a reflection that I thought I'd share with everyone. But um my my question, I actually have two questions, but I'll just do one. Um, I am thinking about how much all of this affects meditation. And um, in the beginning, you mentioned, um, you know, if you can look at what hindrances you're struggling with as you're settling down into meditation. And I, I've only recently tried to work with that. And sometimes... I don't really see clearly what the hindrance is, or if I have a hindrance, I might just be struggling with feelings like the feeling of embarrassment of not remembering that today was the day that I was supposed to record, for instance. And wondering, is that, was that, you know, and I'm, I'm like, okay, I'll bring compassion to that. It's really, it's really okay. You know, it's no big deal. Um, but is that an aversion? Is that, a hindrance of aversion or is it just plain feeling or if you can't figure out any hindrances but you're you know I, I I sometimes I really struggle with that um like I just don't they're not clear to me I wouldn't think about it too much okay. it's not so important uh to to put it in the right category mm -hmm. I think what's important is that it dissolves and when we're feeling something, we turn towards it and be present with it usually. But if it's something familiar that we already know about and we know that it's okay to turn your mind to the breath or something uplifting, like thinking about the beautiful qualities of the Buddha or the generosity in your own life or whatever, you know, that also is an effective approach. We don't want to cover things over 
and um, you know turn away from them out of resistance or um, fear or discomfort but sometimes there's nothing new to discover there and we can you know do what the buddha said about you know like pounding in a, a a new strong peg and pushing out the other one so replacing the thinking with something else and so you know sometimes a feeling arises and we know exactly what it is and it and we don't need to hold it and coddle it we can just you know let it pass through so it depends and we need to really become uh, experts in what our mind is up to mm. and how we can you know get that right get that medicine and uh, use it in a in a good dosage for whatever the problem is and the thing that happens sometimes with the dhamma because we have all these lists we have all these categories and sometimes we can get too caught up in the mental part we need to understand things well enough to know how to work with them, to know what's wholesome, what's unwholesome, increase the wholesome, abandon the unwholesome, and wake up. And you know, keeping the mind, remembering that there are people in Northeast Thailand who had no education whatsoever who become arahants. <laughs> you know, it's like we don't have to think about it. Yeah. Um, in it and so much sometimes yeah thank you yeah you're welcome ling thank you aya um i kind of have a little delay on dilemma um i when i heard about eight precepts i was very attracted and so i tried not eat um dinner during this time when my son was not living with me he goes to his dad's home and i found actually um i have better meditation in the evening and then but when he comes and during the school time and when i was cooking for him and i tried many times said oh not eat but i couldn't resist or you know many failure there and uh, afterwards when I meditate, of course, I feel more drowsy. And I also find like, oh, I'm kind of weak. I couldn't restrain myself. So I was just wondering, how do you, do you have any suggestion? Should I just let it go? And oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, first of all, there's a big change being by yourself or having your son with you. And eating together is such an important social experience. And also, you know, wanting to um, make sure that he's eating and there's, it's pleasant. So it's, it's like, we got to take all of that into account. Now, maybe there's a way of eating, finding a way to eat less so that the body is still light and happy to meditate. Um, but it takes some kind of trying things out, maybe some creativity. You know, what I noticed when I was on eight precepts and I would go to family gatherings like Thanksgiving and 
they didn't have the Thanksgiving dinner at 11 in the morning, <laughs> you know, and I tried every different kind of thing. I tried not eating at all. I tried one year eating only cheese and chocolate, which was really weird. <laughs> I tried um, just setting it, setting the, the precept aside and having a meal with everyone. And I tried not going to the, you know, there you can see what works, what doesn't work, what is supportive of the mind. Definitely, definitely when the thought comes, I'm weak, I didn't do it. Um, remember that that is also defilement. Remember that ill will towards ourselves uh, doesn't help. Seeing that we do something that's unskillful and saying, I don't want to do that unskillful thing again, that's healthy. Remembering that that's a problem, that's healthy. But whenever we layer on um, some kind of punishment, mental, you know, kind of beating ourselves up, this is not good. And it's a a conditioned response that's good for us to to learn to do it a different way so keep trying different things but be sure to remember how important it is to have time with your son and oh the other thing i wanted to say really about the thanksgiving dinner experiments is that at the end of the day, if I'm happy and I'm present, nobody cares at all whether I eat or not. <laughs> oh, sorry. Unless you have Asian grandparents <laughs> or Mexican or Jewish or Italian. Okay, I'm getting it here from the... From the <laughs> okay, maybe they care. <laughs> Yeah. So how how much love does it take <laughs> or how much do we need to eat to keep the peace, you know? It doesn't matter. It's not every day, hopefully. <laughs> Thank you so much, Aya. Wonderful. You're welcome. Linda so oh, there's there's many times that I I notice when something uh, isn't doesn't necessarily lead to peace or might actually lead to a little bit of agitation, but I also notice that I'm not always ready to give give whatever it is up. And I'll give you just a kind of a, a, a kind of a light example. So there's an author that I've, I've read most of her novels. Her name's Louise Penny. And I was reading her latest novel, but it, it turned really dark, much darker than, than her other books. But I was pretty into the story and I liked her writing and I really didn't want to stop reading it. So this is the decision I made. I thought, mm, well, I'm just going to read this like, almost nonstop, just, just finish it. And then I'll be done with it. And then, <laughs> and then, 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just, you know, compress the agitation in the short period of time. So, I mean, obviously that's just an example, but, but I have noticed that, that there are things that I, I, um, you know, clearly I know, you know, are, are making me edgy or agitated, but as I say, I'm just not there yet. So I was wondering if you could comment on that. Yes, there are quite a few things that we, you know, the experience is mixed and we haven't seen enough of the danger or the suffering to let it go. But you might reflect on how you don't want to come back for that. So just a little word about rebirth. You know, what do we want our our existence to be like next time around if we have not yet fully realized that we can let go of absolutely everything, that there's nothing worth clinging to at all. And now that's what we need to do now. If we want things to be different in the future, we have to make it different now and really pay attention to and recognize that the cravings that we have, the desires that we have come from a very deep layer. And we want to be able to dig down and uproot it from there in that layer so that we're not pulled around, you know, pulled around by the worldly conditions and pulled around by our desires. So, you know, the more we can step back and observe ourselves, observe our mind, observe our experience, and really see it in the light of the wisdom of the Dhamma, the more we will be moving in a direction that we really want to go in. So, you know, it's, it's an experiment. How did it feel after you finished the book? Was it worth it? You know, you didn't do anything wrong. It's not like anybody died. It's, it's really okay. Just notice, you know? Thank you. So you're welcome. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.